Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Free Thinking with Montana. I'm so happy to have our guest today. Our guest today is a beacon of hope in Los Angeles' ever-increasing homeless population. She's the founder of Beauty to the Streets, a nonprofit organization that helps and, and has supported the homeless community in Los Angeles for the last four years. Every single Saturday, rain or shine, she and her team come out to share a hot meal, home-cooked meal, a conversation, most importantly, a connection. Skid Row is the epicenter of Los Angeles' homelessness community, with about 5,000 people experiencing homelessness lining its corridors. For four years, Reigns and her team of volunteers have made weekly visits to Skid Row to distribute donated food, hygiene products, and other necessities. Beauty to the Streets has also provided something unique, free beauty makeovers to a community of cisgender and transgender women. Her services were crucial before COVID-19 hit, but even more so now, as she provides the community with PPE, hand sanitizer, and information on social distancing and virus protection. Shirley Rains, thanks so much for being a part of Free Thinking with Montel today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Let's let's back up a little bit, my dear, and then let's figure out where you came from and where all this got started. Then I know that uh, you've talked about you know, your journey through life. You know, you're a mother of six. Correct. And Correct. you had seven kids in your life. I, have six, I well, had six, so I have five living. I'm oh, sorry, you had six and you have five living. And one of your children passed away, what, when you were just three years old? Your first yeah. son. Yeah, it was my firstborn son. He passed away five days till his third birthday. Unfortunately, my grandmother, his great-grandmother, left some medication lying around. I think I was 22 and six months pregnant with my oldest daughter when this happened. And, you know, he didn't make it. He lost, you know, he lost his life. Lost his life. And that sent you in a spiral of depression and, and just feeling bad for quite a long time, did it not? Uh, to this day, it changed my the whole dynamics of what I even thought life was about. At 20-something years old, I'm bearing a child. I'm getting ready in three months to give birth to a new another child who was born three months to the day. And um, I just went into, I think there's a place that's darker than depression and most people will never see it, but that's where I went. And and I quickly came down with panic and anxiety disorder. And that lasted for how long? That that is still lasting. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm still there. I'm not. There's no way to overcome the death of a child. But I'm trying I'm to figure out how how out of the depths of your despair did you decide that you wanted to reach out to help others? Um, I think you know when we were turning. I have a twin sister, Sheila. And, you know, um, every September, my son was born September 11th. He passed away September 6th. So every September, I've leaned on my twin. She knows to call me, check on me. And she knows that that's going to be a very tumultuous month for me. His father used to be my support system, but he passed away many years ago of um, cancer at a mm -hmm. very young age in his 30s. So I lost my firstborn son. I lost my high school sweetheart, who was his father, to colon cancer at a very young age. And um, my sister would just check on me. And every year was getting worse and worse. I was going down a spiral of depression, anxiety, and my twin was like, I think I was 48. And my twin was like, you can't do this anymore, Shirley. You have been punishing yourself all your life. You know, you have been um, having re re survivor's remorse all your life. Like, you have to make sense of this. He wouldn't want you to live like that. And I think that's when I was just tired. And I just prayed and I cried. I'm like, I need to find a purpose for my pain. You know, I think I was trying to heal my pain 
And then at 48, I realized, I don't think this pain is ever going to go away. So maybe if I found a purpose for it, maybe that would be better because no one wants to go through painful situations. But if it meant something and it means something, then maybe you can make sense of it. And that's what I was trying to do. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I just knew that I wanted to make sense of the tumultuous life that I've had, all the pain that I'm having, being on Prozac having panic and anxiety disorder. And somebody one day was going to feed the homeless. I went to church and this guy from church was like, hey, you want to go with me to feed the homeless with this organization? I'm like, okay, I'll go. And as soon as I stepped foot in Skid Row, I realized I was home. That's where it was a sea of broken people. It was all I saw was myself all over the place, you know, just all these broken people. And I thought, oh my God, I can relate to them so much. And while feeding them and giving them hygiene and stuff, they were more interested in my hair, my makeup, my big hoop earrings, my wild, crazy hair colors. They were like, oh, wow, we love it. And I was like, oh, well, do you want some? Because I'll bring you some, girl. I got some at home. You know, the transgender community is like, we love your eyelashes. I'm like, oh, I got extra eyelashes. You want some? And they started calling me the makeup lady. Every time I would go out with this organization, they started calling me the makeup lady. And it was just organically built. And you started helping others. Others. No way. When did you, you, you get the colorful flair for yourself? When did that start? Oh, gosh. I, I've been like this for a very long time. I think I started this probably over 10 years ago. I've, very, I've always been um, very bold. Um, makeup to me and my appearance to me has always been a adult game of make-believe. Make-believe I'm not the woman who buried a son. Make-believe I'm not the woman who's gone through these hardships. And when I looked in the mirror, I really needed to see something other than my circumstances and my situation. So I became pierced up and tatted up and bold colors and big, you know, earrings and stuff like that. And I think that I realized, too, that that community deserves to play an adult game of make-believe, you know, and they wanted that. And especially there's a community that is is down and out and feeling depressed and and literally at their close to their end. Uh, the colorful uh, accoutrement would give them a way to escape, right? A way to escape, a way to see see themselves in a positive light. It's it's fun. It, it's refreshing for the spirit. I mean, I realize a lot of people feed the homeless, but very few people focus on feeding the spirit. And I know personally from my journey that if the spirit doesn't survive, the body won't survive. I, I was a zombie for many years walking around. I finally started to feed my spirit. So when I went out there to help my community, I realized it was not just the food that we gave them, but it was the conversation that we gave them. It was the care that we put into them. And I knew how important my physical appearance made me feel. And I'm just fortunate that my community fell in line with that and wanted those same things. And it was something that I was able to provide. And I mean, I mean so you started uh, initially, were you starting to provide, first you started with food, then you started providing some makeup services, then you started providing showers and clean hair and washing hair and actually physically doing the hair of several people on, death, on, on uh, Skid Row, right? Yeah, correct. I mean, when I first went out there, I would give them makeup and I would bring my hair color to them. And when I'd go back, they had the makeup on, but they didn't have the hair color. I'm like, oh, you didn't like the color? They were like, well, I don't have any water. I'm like, oh, I can bring water. So I used to fill up, you know, big igloos, get those big orange igloos and boil water at home and mix half really hot and bring some cold so we can get a perfect balance of warm water when we get to Skid Row. I had a couple of people that would help me out and we would, I went to Target and got a fold up card chair and 
went to the store and got some trash bags and used them as um, capes and started doing their hair out there. And people would line up and they would wait for us to do their hair. And then it occurred to me that homelessness appeared to be a long-term camping trip. And so I said, well, let me go to the camping section and see if they have any pop-up showers or anything that we can provide privacy for, but also get them clean. And we found pop-up showers and we would hold water bags over them. And I bring all the water from home. I still do to this day um, to make sure that they were showered and felt good. Um, it was just, it's what I had to give. I'm a mother. I'm, I have a nurturing spirit. And um, it made sense. It just, they were so broken and it gave me a purpose for my pain. And that purpose actually led to my my passion. And I started my own nonprofit doing just such. And what's the name of the nonprofit? Beauty to the streets. I felt like we're bringing beauty right to the streets. I think it's important for broken people to be met right where they're at you know, um, in their tent, on the corner. Um, I don't want a building because they don't have a building to live in. I want to meet them right where they're at. And so we set up a beauty salon on the corner. We do hair, we have barbers, we give makeup. Due to COVID, we can't put makeup on anymore, but we we give makeup and we bring all the resources right to them. I can't help them get off the street, but I can bring beauty to the streets where they're at. And bring a moment of, of joy to them. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Conversation, something that a lot of people don't give them. Monday through Friday, people tell them to get out the way. Saturday, it's all about them. And hopefully that can hold them off until the next Saturday we're there or the next Tuesday we're there. I go by myself every Tuesday and pass out from my car window and keep my connection with my community. Gotcha. And, and you know, again, every Saturday when you're out there, I mean, what, what, what has been the response? Um, you know, first, of course, broken people, it's hard for them to trust. And I completely understand that. But um, when we went out there, it was really hard in the beginning when I was building my team up. And I left this organization and decided he was in the back streets of Los Angeles, California. And I decided, well, I love the back streets, but I want to do something even more. I want to go to Skid Row. And people are like, no, it's the roughest area. It's the meanest people. It's very dangerous. I'm like, and I completely feel home because I've had a very rough life and broken people display actions in a, in a in a very particular way. So I knew they weren't dangerous. They weren't a lost cause. Um, I knew there was drugs and alcohol down there. I also knew that drugs and alcohol was a coping mechanism for homelessness, and it wasn't something that created their situation of homelessness. So we went out there. It was pretty hard for people to trust me. I'm not going to lie. They thought there was a catch. They thought there was something to it. You know, I would tell them I loved them. And they'd be like, who is this strange lady telling me they love, you know, she loves me. And they would pop off on me. They would cuss me out. They would throw things at us. And I would go back out there the next week and the next week. And finally, they started saying, you're, you're not going to leave. Huh? I'm like, no, you really love us. Huh? I'm like, yeah, I've been telling you that for a couple of years now. And it took a long time. Four years later, you know, we've earned the trust of the community. And they're very grateful that we stuck, stuck it out with them. They see that we're sincere. It's not for cap. It's not for clout. It's because I really, really care. A lot of them know my story and they know that I'm one of them. I'm just one of them who happens to still live behind four walls and a door. But there's nothing really different between me and them, you know. And you, I mean, you, you feed, you provide meals for between 600 and 800 people every Saturday. Is that right? Correct. Correct. We do. Um, we provide meals. We give them a, um, we collect hygiene products. So that's why we have our Amazon wish list, and we have everything from um, the hygiene products and the Amazon wish list is built upon the need of the community. So we have everything from wipes so that they can feel clean every day to hand sanitizers, toothpaste, toothpaste, toothbrush, you know, deodorant, the basic hygiene necessities. And then we also go a step beyond that. We get wigs for the women. Um, after we wash their hair and put it in a nice, cute, protective style, they might want to throw a wig 
on or something. Um, we get them housing, which is tents, sleeping bags, blankets. It's the only housing that I'm able to get from them. Uh, but we make sure that they have supplies that they need to stay on the street, safely on the street. We get mace for the women in the trans community. Um, we get protected. We get rape whistles. We get whatever we can to make their um, experience on the street something they can make it through until they get to a different chapter in their life. That's crazy. And now, again, give that, give that Amazon wish list information out so people know where to go. You can go to our website, beautytothestreet.org. And if you click the donate button, it'll take you to our um, options. And we have an Amazon wish list. We have a P.O. box where people can mail things into. We have all of our Cash App, uh, PayPal, Patreon. We have a monthly supporters who, we have monthly supporters who, you know, support us every single month. And that's our Patreon. We have Venmo. We have several different ways to help our community. And I mean, you're, you're looking for anything. I mean, any pennies, every, every penny will help. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, it's, it's literally $7 a head. It, it, it equates to $7 to feed our community. So it's cost us somewhere about $3,500 every single, or at least a little more every single Saturday, just for the food part and on top of the hygiene. And then we also provide ice cream for them every week because they love their ice cream. So they get their desserts, they get a snack bag of food to go as well. After they eat that meal with us, we want to make sure we give them something that they can eat later in their tent and take with them. So we provide so many services for them. And then again, I feed on Tuesdays as well. That's their McDonald's day. Absolutely, but, but I mean, now when you go down on a Saturday, where do you where do you put the do you put up a shower, a portable shower? We don't do the shower in Skid Row. The shower is for the back street. So what we do in, on Saturdays is I bring gallons and gallons of water from my house in these big um, these big um, insulated water bags that you're supposed to use for camping. So I pull probably ten of those out of my house. They're five gallons each. Pull them in a wagon and get them to the car. And we set up um, hair washing stations on the corner. So we have uh, two hair washing stations. We have the reclining chairs like you do with the salon and everything. We have capes. We set up a barber table. We have a table for barbers. Um, this community knows the drill. We give out tickets. So here's your haircut ticket. Here's your food ticket. The line when I get there is already 100 people deep. You know, the line gets very long. Um, they wait for us. They start lining up at 530 in the morning, knowing that we don't show up till seven and we don't start serving till nine. So the, they wait on us to come. And um, we have a clothes station. We have shoe station. We have um, a PPE station. We also give them lights. I feel like, especially with the women, they need um, protection lights when they're out there. And we give them the lights that go on the head so they can be hands-free and walk around and shine a light, especially at nighttime, and protect themselves. So we have a lot of different stations. They know, they know exactly which one to go to. We have a catering company that comes out and sets up and barbecues and cooks on the spot so they get to watch their food being made specifically for them. We serve pork chops or we serve barbecue chicken. This week we're doing barbecue chicken, potato salad, vegetables, um, rolls, and um, ice cream. Wow. And I mean, I, this is, and all of this is through the good hearts and nature of people who watch what it is you're building, right? Yep. For four years. I mean, all of this, we would be nothing without our social media uh, supporters from TikTok to Twitter to Facebook to Instagram. We have so many amazing supporters and we would be nothing without them. They share and they share and they donate and they donate. We don't do um, GoFundMes. We don't do anything like that. Um, and they we've been making it for four years. I'm amazed. I, I had no idea that it would even go this far. I didn't even plan on becoming a nonprofit. I just was looking for a way to heal my pain and make sense of it. That led me to the streets and this organically just happened. And what does the, you know, the community officials, what do they say about this? What do the police department say about this? 
battles. I mean, you know, I'm very headstrong. I'm from the streets of Compton. Um, I I know there are rules in place, but if the rules don't serve our community, then I'm going to kick back and I'm going to ask why. Um, people know me. I'm very loud and I'm very bold. Um, the police department did have a problem with it, and we would butt heads a lot. Um, I think they saw us as a problem. Uh, they, they had a problem with what? You washing somebody's hair? They had a problem pretty much with us feeding. I think in their minds, we were keeping the people homeless by providing services. We were babying them. We weren't allowing them to stand on their own two feet, so to say. So they would, you know, press us about little bitty stuff. You know, that you can't have, you can't have a car in the red right here. I'm like, there's literally nothing here. There's no fire hydrants. The fire department doesn't have a problem with it. This whole street is red because they don't want, businesses don't want strange cars parking in Skid Row. So they create, they get a, a permission from the city to make that whole street red. So there's absolutely nowhere to park, but that's the corner where we serve our community. So they had a problem with this parking in the red on a Saturday when businesses were closed and it wasn't obstructing any kind of a traffic. And I was like, mm, but no, we're going to park here because the people are here and they need to be fed. And we went back and forth and, you know, lieutenants would come down and, you know, we, we finally agreed to disagree. And I think they finally realized we're not going anywhere. It's been four years now and we work semi well together. They know I stay out of their way and they stay out of my way. You know what I mean? We're there for the community. Um, and if you're not going to take care of the community, then you're not going to dictate how I take care of the community. That's how I feel. And how about elected officials? Any any support from them nope. or any pushback? Nope. No support was no. Nope. Nobody's even said peekaboo to us. We've been there for four years. I know we're big. I know people see us. Um, nope, no support from them. All of our money, all of the funding comes from social media family. We've got no support. When when COVID hit, the streets were bare. The city wasn't putting out water stations. They weren't doing anything that they said they were doing on the news. They weren't doing anything that they were supposed to be doing. It took them months to kick in gear. We started right away, right away passing out masks, passing out hand sanitizers, even educating the homeless to what COVID was. They didn't even know. Nobody had tell them, told them anything. The city just left them there to die. They didn't give them anything. They just left them alone and uneducated. And I'm, I'm sure that your work actually helped to save lots of lives because we have not heard about, you know, there being a oversaturation of COVID cases among the homeless. So you it's very low out there. It's very low out there. You know, God is in the saving business. I hope that we help educate. Um, I enforce masks all the time. We work with health services. We became a COVID testing spot. We allowed them to come out and test the homeless because we get such a large crowd of people. Um, we've even promoted the, the vaccination so the homeless know that this is where they're giving the vaccinations and things like of such. But um, I think that what the people didn't understand is when you were be being told to self-isolate, when you were being told to lock yourself in your house that first week of March of, you know, last year when this hit us, um, there's a whole community of 66,000 people in one county alone, which is L.A. County, that could not self-isolate, that couldn't quarantine. And when we were all told to do so, that meant all of the helpers and the people that used to feed them, that meant all of the resources. And so nobody was out there. And the homeless was like, where is everybody? And the first week we stayed home. We did what we were supposed to do. And the homeless know my you know, social media. So they were DMing me going, Shirley, what's going on? Where are you guys at? We're hungry. Nobody's down here. What's going on? I'm like, well, you guys are supposed to be in hotels. Like the city's going to take care of you. They're like, take care of us. Why? What happened? I'm like, wait, don't you know about 
this this pandemic, they were like, well, we know it's like a flu bug or something. I'm like, wait, don't you have masks? And wait, the city said, and they're like, surely nobody's doing nothing. And we're hungry. The mission stopped feeding. They wouldn't let people inside to eat. So everything dried up. I immediately called my team and said, we can't take a break. Like they're still out there waiting on us. And we just figured out what's the safest way to continue to do what we do. So we stopped washing hair at the time. We stopped doing makeup at the time. And we started focusing it on food, PPE, water, hand sanitizer, all these things. And we changed the dynamics of what we were doing um, for many, many months. And I'm sure that they really, what's what's the one thing, what, what, what are some of the highlights of what you've heard back from those people that you help? Um, that we didn't leave them. Um, we have guys, cigarette man down there that always says, you guys never left us, huh? And I think that that just instilled their belief of what we were doing um, because it's when a marriage is good, it's good. But when you hit those rocky patches, that's when you're tested. And I really was tested. Again, I have, you know, PTSD from all these people in my life dying. I hear about this thing outside that I can die from. And I'm going, God, what do you want from me? Like, I want to stay in the house. I really do. I want to be protected. I got five kids are like, mommy, do not go out there. You don't understand. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, there's a whole community that, that want, needs us. And I've been telling them I love them for four years. What do I look like disappearing through a pandemic? I wouldn't trust me if I came back when everything was said and done. I was like, I'm just going to pray and do what I'm supposed to do and get out there. And they're very grateful for that. They're a grateful community, period. They've always been very grateful. And now, the, the, again, since the community is not helping you or the, you know, the legislative community is not helping you, are you working at, at trying to at least provide them with information about how they can actually get out of that situation and get to at least a job or get to some place that they do have a roof over their head? Are you working no. with other programs? No, we're not. And that's not my ministry. Again, I fell mm. into this and I wish I could do more, but this is what I can do. I can hold their hand till the elective officials decide to get off their butt and come do something for the community. We can keep, we can try to keep them alive where they're on the street long enough so that they can potentially get that job so programs can open up for them. You know, we've buried several people on the street right now. There's several of the homeless people that didn't make it and we've paid for their funerals. That's what we do. We pay for funerals. We hope if they can get the body, we'll pay to make sure the person gets dignity and death since nobody gave them dignity in life. And um, I wish I could do more. I am not trained for this. You know, I'm just a broken woman trying to help other broken people as best I can, as best I, mean, I can. You said, you know, lack of a home is not a lack of humanity. And yeah. I think it's a really poignant statement that you make. Yeah, it's not. And not all queens live in castles. Some live on the streets. And that's why I call them kings. And that's why I call them queens. You know, we've got people who fought for our country living on the street. There are vets. I can't tell you how many vets I've taken care of. Vets missing a limb. They lost it in war. They came back traumatized. They came back with PTSD. The Maybe the wife didn't feel like the person was safe to, to be in the house and the person became homeless. And I feel like this country broke it. You, bright, you broke it, you bought it. You know, this country right. broke you. You broke it, you bought it. Fix this person so they can go back right. to their wife and children. Fix this person so they can have a life of normality. But we have vets sleeping on the street. I take care of nurses. I take care of people with PhDs. I take care of people, a nurse who has schizophrenia. Mental illness is a huge factor, a huge factor with people being homeless, a huge factor. The lack of mental health, especially for our community, is, is terrible. It's terrible. That plays a big role in homelessness. You know, one more time, give out to the website for Beauty to the Streets. It's beauty, the number two, the streets, streets has a Z on the end, dot org, beauty to the streets dot org.
And what would you what would you say? I mean, what if what if tomorrow, you know, President Biden or Vice President Harris said, you know, we really want to hear from the people who are doing the the hard work, God's work. What mm-hmm. would you tell them? I would tell them that the city focusing on getting them housing is not the beginning of healing. It's not. It's a part of the healing, but it's not the beginning of the healing. I would tell them that we can create homes for them right where they're at. We can, we can, the city, like, look, this was a small room once before. Now we're in a gangrene situation. Where is LA County going to put 66,000 homeless people? We, we can't do that right now. So we have to be realistic about how we're going to care for them. Let's start with cleaning up the trash in the streets. Let's start with trying to eliminate some of the rat problems down there. Let's start with giving them a place to use the bathroom with dignity. Let's start by giving them a place to take showers and wash their hair and wash their hands. Let's start by giving city appointed tents. Let's start by not sweeping. The city must be told that we cannot sweep, which means we're not going to throw away their tents. We're not going to throw away their sleeping bags and blankets. We're going to help them live. We're not going to be a problem. We're not going to be part of the problem. We're going to be a part of the solution. And I think the city can do things better to make the streets more livable for the homeless until we figure out where, as a society, to put 66,000 people. Absolutely. Especially when we're starting to see the fact that, you know, there's so much happening when it comes to you know, spaces that are now sitting dormant from malls and shopping centers and things like that, where we have space. And a lot of those spaces have bathrooms in the back of them. There's no reason why they can't even right now transition some of those over to dormitory kind of situations. Absolutely. And provide mental therapy for them. And, you know, when we go out there, there's so many of the homeless people, especially the men, they're like, let me help you take boxes out the car. Let me help you help you do something. I'm like, no, we got it. You guys are standing in line. You relax. And they want to do something. They want to help. They want to feel like they're working for their for their food that we give them. They want to feel like it's not just a handout. I think when if you talk about opening some of these malls and creating homes for the homeless, they can clean. They can be a part of working in there. You know what I mean? I think it's just crazy how we will do a halfway home and rehab murderers and rapists, but we won't help people that fought for this country. We won't help nurses and teachers that are that fell on hard times and, and you know fell on the streets. We won't halfway house our homeless community. It's we've got things backwards. We've got things extremely backwards. And and I mean you you're you are in the you know the Tinsel City, you know, you're in Hollywood, Los Angeles. I mean yep. the place that everybody goes, you know, land of dreams, land of stars. Are you getting much support from the land of stars? Not, let me not say not one. Mighty Cyrus helped us get our van. Um, Brad Gear is a huge uh, supporter of ours, just, you know, emotionally and shares things. And we get people like Eva Mendez. But, you know, those are the people that find me on social media. But, you know, the Calabasas people and the people that are 30 minutes away, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I take a lot of flack. I get a lot of flack on social media for what I do. I mean, the people feel like it shouldn't be recorded. It shouldn't be shown. It should be shown. It should be shown. We've been silent enough about this pandemic. It should be shown. What do it you should. mean people feel you get a lot of flack for showing? Well, you do take videos of what you do on a Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. People feel like, oh, you know, you're, you're doing it for cloud. I'm like, I'm not doing it for cloud. I'm doing it for education. See, I was really, I mean, I consider myself a very street part, smart person, you know, grew up in Compton my whole life, lived and was raised in the streets. And when I went to Skid Row, one of the first things that hit me was the narrative that has been attached to these people is absolutely incorrect. I can tell you, or I can show you, you don't know me from Adam. So let me show you. 
And also I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for your donations. Let me be transparent. Let me show you where your makeup goes. Let me show you what we do with the money that you send us to feed. And I can show you better than I can tell you. And I think, you know, the world just, I think people don't want to face what's going on in the streets. They want to make the homeless as if they did something wrong. But I think this pandemic is really going to show people that anybody can become homeless. Anybody can become homeless. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, what would you say, what do you want to say to those out there who, you know, right teetering right now on giving you a donation? How would you tell them, come on, man, step up to the plate? Um, I would tell them it takes a village. Honestly, it takes a village. At any point in time, this could be you. This could be me. We go through our own things, but we're blessed and highly favored that we still have a roof over our head. And I would say that let's help somebody out because you never know when you might need help yourself. You never know when um, it's your child that's on the street. You never know when it's it's your son or daughter who's a runaway and that you would want somebody to care for. Um, you, you know, there are so many women on the street who suffer sexual trauma as well. I, I just don't think people fully understand it's not just being homeless. It's it's being homeless as a woman and trying to survive. I think one of the most, the hardest thing I've had to press upon social media is that they always want to send us pads and tampons and feminine hygiene products for our women. The majority of them don't have a cycle. They've been raped too many times, so their bodies stop producing it. They don't eat properly. They don't get water to drink. So their bodies stop producing it. It blows people's mind when I say we don't need feminine hygiene products, but we don't. The women are so abused and malnourished that their body doesn't have enough strength to do both things. So it's just trying to help them survive so they don't have cycles. And I think people need to really understand what is going on in those streets and how at any given time it could be any of us. And they need their support. And, you know, we're just we just act on behalf. I, I serve at the pleasure of the homeless and we need your support so we can continue to take care of them. So, Charlie, I can't tell you, I, I'm, I'm just so impressed by, you know, your drive and your your, you know, uh, just humanity to humanity. I mean, um, there are very few people like you out there right now. Um, and Los Angeles problem, though, it is one of the larger of our homeless populations in the country mm-hmm. we think but we don't know because a lot of other cities are silent about yeah. their problem they don't talk about it they definitely don't show it so yeah. if somebody wanted to do what it is you're doing in cleveland in miami in you know wherever because they're there yeah how do they get started what do they have to do to get started I think the first thing you have to do is date your community. I mean, I'm married to my community now, but it's been four years. By dating, I mean going out there, talking to them. I could easily make a food bag. People are like, why don't you just have pre- pre-made bags available? Because a pre-made bag doesn't allow me to have a conversation. It doesn't allow me to ask them how their day is going. It doesn't allow me to ask their name. So I wanted to date my community, which means I want to take my time with them. I want to get to know them. And I want to get to know what some of their needs and desires were. And that's how I found out they wanted hair color. That's how I found out they wanted makeup. You got to get out there and you got to know your community. A lot of people say, I want to do what you're doing. I love hair and makeup. I want to bring that to my city. And my first question is, is that what your city wants? Well, I don't know. I just love the way it looks. But you got to go ask your community what they want and what they need. Beauty is in the eye of beholder. And I'm just fortunate that LA County beholds the same things that I behold as beautiful. But your community might behold shoes as beautiful. So you might want to, you know, be shoes to the street. 
You know what I mean? So get out there and get to know your community, have conversations with them, build that trust. It's a marriage. It took a long time. I started taking care of 20 people. Four years later, we're between 600 and 800 people. I never thought we would get this big, but we actually built, we built a relationship with our community. And where do, where do you see you going? Charlie? where do you, where, what's next? What's the next couple of months look like for you? Um, I see us, which has always been my vision. I want a mobile. Um, I want a mobile hair station. I want a place where men and women can step on board. They can sit in a chair. They can see their their face in lights. They can um, be in an air conditioned little unit where we can wash their hair inside a little mobile salon. I see us still on the streets, still on the corner, but bringing the salon to them. I've always wanted a mobile salon. Um, we, again, 600 to 800 people, we get through probably 20 heads of hair before we run out of the water that I bring from home. We use none of the city's resources. All of the clippers that we have to cut hair are cordless. I spend my time charging them, which I'll start doing tomorrow. I charge them all up from my home as best I can so we can have enough power to cut as many heads of hair as we can until the clippers die. I bring as much water as I can physically carry out the door so we can wash as many heads of hair until we run out of water. Um, I want to not be able to, I want to not tell them, no, I don't want to say we ran out of water. I want a mobile shower that's self-sustaining, which means it has its own water tanks. We don't have to plug into the fire hydrant or have the city dictate where we can go. We can go wherever the need is. That's where I see us doing. And I see us continually helping. Um, we've got new residents coming into Skid Row, unfortunately. And I think we're going to continue to see new residents because of COVID and because of people losing jobs and things like that. Um, and I see us continually doing what we're doing. And this is this is the future for you. you this is my future. No, this is my passion. I'll be doing this to the day I die. This is, I, I actually found a purpose for my pain. Um, I cannot bring my son back. I wish I could. It's one of the hardest things I will ever have to deal with in my whole life. I am such an unhappy person when I'm not out there with the homeless because I recognize the loss in my life. But I can't bring my son back, um, but I can help somebody else's son and I can help somebody else's daughter. No matter how old they are, they can be 80 years old and they're still somebody's sons and daughter. I can help somebody else. Um, I, In a lot of ways, I feel like it's too late for me. You know, I was broken. I didn't get therapy. I'm on Prozac. Um I feel like it's too late for me in many ways, but there's so many people that are just getting a start on this life and it's not too late for them. And we can be there to support them and to encourage them so that they can have hope for the future. This is a chapter in their life and I would hate for them to be destroyed in this chapter before the better chapters get here. And when you say there's no hope for you though, I mean, I think the hope for you is the fact that you get inspiration by what it is you're doing. So, I mean, I, I, I would hope that you understand that you are a beacon of light for so many others. And yeah. You can feed on that a little bit, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think um, I think I just want to be happy. And I haven't huh? been happy for many years. And I think when I say there's no hope for me, I just feel like um, being broken from the death of a child is just something that just, it's just never gets better. And Prozac helps, but it doesn't help enough. And I... I have to bury my pain. I, I, I've become an amazing gardener. I dig holes and I bury things. You know what I mean? It's not a functional way, but, you know, I was a little 20-something-year-old black girl. My family didn't say get therapy. Nobody said, go get help for this. You know, my Nana said, pray and God will heal everything. You know, 
generational curses. We nobody told me to get help when I should have gotten help. And here I am, fifty three, going on fifty four years old. You know, thirty years later, and um, I've become a master gardener with burying my pain. And I think that if I dig it up now, it will kill me. So I continue to bury it, but I try to talk to others and help them not to bury their pain, but to get help as soon as possible, as soon as possible. Well, I got to tell you, you're helping so many, uh, Shirley. I, I, um, whenever, please throw up your website one more time where they want people to know that they, where they can go to donate. It's beautytothestreet.org, beautytothestreet.org. And we're on all the social media format platforms as Beauty to the Streets. And you put up some of your videos from time to time, right? We put up a lot of the videos. I put up a, a lot. I take people feeding with me. So on Tuesdays, my my phone is in the window and the community that donates, they know it's Feeding Tuesday. Um, I turn on my badges on Instagram and um, they can donate while we go out and feed and they get to see the interactions of what's going on in the community. And then I later post those videos on the different formats. I want well, to change please, it. Do, please do me a favor. Send me a clip or something and we can put that clip up while we're doing this podcast. We'll put it in. Oh. We'll add it in okay. Okay. Yeah. The clip yeah. yeah. We'd love to have that. That way uh, yeah. people can see what it is you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Has anybody done a documentary on you yet, or have they featured this at, at all so that they, they could spread the word? Um, we did a United Shades of America with Kamal Bell, CNN, which is probably one of the, the highlights of our our our, our journey because uh, Q, Q was a transgender that I met probably four years ago, very early on in me starting. Before I was even beating to the streets, I went down the side street one time and I saw this transgender Q and we just became really good friends and I took care of Q forever. And when we did our documentary, United Shades of America, after 26 years of being lost and homeless, Q's family saw her on the show and they came down and they took her home and Q is living her best life back home with her family after being 26 years homeless. And we should say this Q is not the other Q. That have- no, 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 no. no. Gotcha. Make good sure we get <laughs> Yeah, that for sure. Yeah. Well, Shirley Rains, I was going to say, God bless you, my dear. Thank you so much for what it is you're doing. Thank you for being the beacon that you are being right now for a nation in so much need, shining a light on the fact that we're not that far away from that. More and more and more people need services like yours. Thank you and, so much. You know, again, please send us a clip so we can put it in to the podcast. Okay. And, you know, I anytime you want to come back, anytime you got something to share, you know, you got a home here, okay? Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. And I know, you know, you don't need the thank yous and you don't need no. the pat on the back, but there are not too many more like you. You know that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. You stay well, you stay safe. I will. And thank all of you for tuning in to Free Thinking with Montel. And make sure you go up on beautytothestreets.org.com. .org. .org. Go up to beautytothestreets.org. And take a look at what they need and try your best to donate everything you possibly can. You guys have a great day. Love you. You be well. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear feedback, so please send us your comments.